For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may all be seated. Good morning. One quick announcement. I'll pray, and then we'll jump into God's word this morning. Uh, this coming Saturday over at Holly Grove Baptist Church, there is a Veterans Appreciation uh, Dinner um, for both the, um, those active and those that have retired from service. So if you need more information, come find me after the service. I'll give you more information on that. That's a, uh, an appreciation dinner for every, every one of our service members um, that are active or have, uh, are in retirement. The only other announcement is we continue to gather resumes for our youth pastor position, um, and we'll continue to pray for who God has for us. Let's jump in uh, this morning to prayer and to, to God's holy word. Would you pray with me this morning? Take a moment to quiet our hearts and hear from the Holy Spirit. God, we're grateful for your new mercies and how they are new every morning to us. We are grateful that you still reign and you're in control of all things. That you are the anchor in the midst of the storm. That though the life around us and our lives around us may seem and feel chaotic and disruptive, we know that we have a firm anchor that cannot be moved, and so we anchor ourselves to you today. We're grateful for all that you continue to provide for us, show us, and reveal to us. God, we do come now, and as we've been coming for the last several months, we put this petition before you for a youth pastor, that you would bring the right person to us, that we have a heart for you and a heart for students, they'd have a love to make you known to students, that you would use them to uh, just bring more and more uh, salvation to this dark world. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul says, let no one look down on you on your youthfulness, but set an example. I pray that that would be true for our students here at Powell's Chapel. Uh, just lead us and guide us. Give us wisdom as we continue to look for who you have for us. And as we prayed and we'll continue to pray, prepare us for them and them for us. That it would be uh, what you would have for this church and for these students. And now, God, we come to the portion of this service where we look at your holy word, your inspired word, your infallible word, your inerrant word, that we pray that would be true that it would divide the, those sinful places and those righteous places in our lives and through the word that you would help us remove those unrighteous places in our lives. And now, God, we humble ourselves again and ask that you would use your word to do what only it can, and that's provide salvation, whether it's justification or sanctification. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus and all of God's children said, amen this morning. 
Uh, remember, we're in this series uh, called really Recovering Redemption. What does it look like for us to really believe the gospel? Last week was all about the bad news. Remember, it will be on the screen, that chart, where in our lives we came into this world with the Imago Dei, how God created us to be in relationship with ourselves, relationship with one another, and ultimately relationship with God. But because we live in a fallen, broken world, our relationships have all been shattered to some respect. And out of living in a fallen, broken world, it's our attempt to navigate through relationships or to manage relationships. And that's where sinful behavior comes from. That's where patterns in our lives come from really trying to manage relationships, manage our relationship with God, manage our relationship within ourselves, and then ultimately manage our relationships with other people. This morning, though, I hope to bring us hope, but I've got to again go back to the bad news. Here's what the psalmist, or here's what it says in Proverbs. And this is the outermost ring of our lives. And we may be here this morning, but this is what the Proverbs says. Because it's all of our way to, to manage relationships. And in managing relationships, we are really looking for life and how God created us. You know, a, a drug addict is, though he's, managing his drug addiction, he's really looking for life, and there's something in addiction that brings life, or you wouldn't keep going back to it. True is with all of sin. There's something that's so intoxicating about sin. It's, there's a gravitational pull, if you will, to sin. Why? Because in those fleeting moments, sin feels like it gives life, does it not? So yet we continue to go back to it like a fly or a mosquito going back to that shock lamp. It's like we'll never learn our lessons. We keep going back to it, getting zapped, flying away, and going back to it again. Why? It's because of what Proverbs 16.25 says. Right? That bug that's going to that lamp and gets shocked is looking for something and true for us and here's what it says in proverbs 16 25 there is a way that seems right to man but what in the end leads to death let's turn and we'll spend our majority of our time in romans but we'll be all over god's word so if there's a way that seems right to man but in the end, it leads to death. What happens to us? This is what the Apostle Paul says. If you read the book of Romans, Romans is such a theologically rich book. But the first really seven chapters of Romans is pretty much a, a chapters of despair. Because what Paul is doing, he's setting up the reader to see all the ways that we wander from God. What Paul is doing in those first seven chapters is saying, this is what happens when you continue to go after your own way that's leading to death. So Paul, right out of the gates in Romans, says this. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. He doesn't waste much time. He says this. For although they knew God... They did not what honor 
him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and they were with their fuel, their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What Paul is saying is they were going after these idols. Again, that's what ultimately sin is or addiction is. It's idols replacing God with other things, hoping those other things is what brings us life. And we begin to worship those things. Paul says, you thought you were wise, but you exchanged the glory of God for things that would never bring him glory or bring you life. He then goes on and says this. This is some terrifying passage and verses in Romans. It says, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, dishonoring their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the, cre- the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul continues to say this, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that were contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Paul goes on, it's like, Paul, like, why do you have to continue? Like He's going after, he's going hard after sin, and he's saying, hey, if you want to continue to sin, God's going to give you over to that sin. That ought to terrify us. He says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to be debased, to their debased minds, to do whatever they ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They were gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Do they know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die? They did not only do them, but they approved of those things who practice them. That's what happens with our sinful lives. It gets to a place where it's no longer manageable, but now sin is managing us. And once sin manages us, God says, I'll give you over to that. That's terrifying. It's not that God doesn't care, but God is not going to be, he's not going to have any competition. And so at some point, God will say to you and to me and to the church, if you want to act that way, if you want to live that way, then go for it. Paul goes on to say this, if, if already we haven't begun to begun this shock, factor of like oh we're not good Paul goes on in verse 11 of chapter 3 and says this about humanity he says no none's righteous not one no no one understands no one seeks God all of his 
turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Therefore, Paul is saying to us, all of us in this room, on this planet, no one seeks God. No one seeks to do good. He would go on to say this in Romans 5. This is the reason that none of us do what we ought to do. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, remember sin came in through Adam and Eve, that sin nature still lives within us. He says, therefore, just as that sin came into the world, death through sin. So death spread to all men because they have all sinned. All of us in this room have gone from who God created us to be to the outermost ring of this diagram to become sinful human beings that exchange the glory of God for idols. And there is no, some sin is worse than other sin. The consequences may be different, but sin is sin. Sin is the broken relationship that we have with God. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now Paul goes on to say this. He's like, now, because we are all sinners, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. No one seeks God. No one does good. We all have a way that seems right that's going to what? End in death. He then says, if you don't understand what I'm saying, I'm going to put it in one simple verse. You know it well. Romans 6, 23. For what? The wages of sin or the penalty of sin is what? Death. When we go about living our own lives, the way we want to live our lives, apart from how God created us, the outermost ring, we all deserve to die and we all will die and spend eternity apart from God. And now Paul starts to make this shift in the book of Romans with this one small word, but. When you come to that word in the Bible, always circle it, because most of the time, that but gives us great hope. Here's the hope that we now have as we look back on this is what we all deserve. He says, but this, for the wages of sin is death, but what? The free gift of God. We do not earn it. We do not deserve it. It is a free gift gift that God is giving to all of mankind the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord so now in the outermost ring on this chart the but is huge and it says this but God doesn't want us to remain that way God knew that from Genesis chapter 3, he had a plan of redemption right after the fall. Because his desire was always to be back in relationship with us. So his plan was to bring redemption to the world through his son, and his son was going to be what? The free gift. He says this as a way of hope. 
this morning. He says, for if we have been united with him, this is salvation. In our salvation, if you've received the free gift that God has given to you, if you've been united with him in death like this, you will certainly be what? United with him. This is Romans chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. You will be united with him in the resurrection like his. But we know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be what? Enslaved to sin. See, that's what the gospel does for us. It's what the hope of Christ does for us. We are now what Paul says, we are no longer slaves to sin. So Paul, when he goes on in Romans chapter 7 to talk about the very thing I don't want to do and I do, he's not saying I'm enslaved to it because he just said in Romans that he's no longer a slave to that, but now there's this constant war within him that goes on. And as Paul will show us, as we'll look this morning, how do we continue to live with freedom, not enslaved to sin? Paul says it this way. He said, we're no longer slaves to sin. We're free from that. And then he says this. He says, therefore, in Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 1, there is now, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me read that passage again. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How often when we sin, do we feel condemned? How often do others condemn us? But more importantly, how often do we condemn ourselves? Do we shame ourselves? Do we beat ourselves with the sin that we've done? But Paul is saying through Christ, there is now no shame or no condemnation for those that are sinned because of the free gift that you've been given. That free gift is forgiveness. How often, church, do we not live that way? We must live with the forgiveness that Christ has offered to us because then we'll do what Paul says in Galatians, what Jared read to us this morning. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. You see, when sin comes at us now because of this free gift that God has given to us, there's no condemnation. We're not enslaved to that sin anymore. We can now stand firm in Christ and be set free. Are we standing firm, church, in our freedom that we have in Christ? And I'm not saying we use that freedom to continue to sin. Paul says by no means do we do that. But we stand in victory because of what Christ has done for us and in us do not be submitted to sin, the sin or the yoke of slavery anymore this is the gospel i'll read the definition of the gospel again that we read last week this is the gospel god through the perfect life atoning death and bodily resurrection of jesus christ rescues all of his people from the wrath of god the the death that we deserve god through his son rescues us from that wrath. And it gives us peace with God. With a promise of full restoration in the created order forever. All to the praise of the glory 
of his grace. That is the gospel. Another way to say the gospel is this. It offers us redemption. The word redemption means this. To pay a high price in order to secure the release of something or someone. That's what the gospel does. It has paid the price and releases us from what? The bondage of sin. That's what the gospel does. You are now no longer a slave to sin if you have the gospel. My question for you, my question for me, the question for the church, though, this morning is this. Two questions. First, do you believe that you've been set free from the bondage of sin and hell? Do you believe that? Because if you believe that, you'll live that way. The second would be this. Have you ever received the free gift of Christ? Because if you haven't, you will always be in bondage to sin. I would say this to you. If you are in sin continually with no freedom, I would question your salvation. I'm not saying you can lose your salvation. I would just simply say, if God says you're free and you're not living free, something in the equation's off and it's not God. Let me say it again. I'm not saying you can lose your salvation. I'm simply saying you may never had salvation. Because if you're living in sin, continually living in sin, with no freedom from that sin, I would say, how is that possible if God, through his word, says you were set free from sin? How is that possible? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but you are set free from your sin. Let's turn just for a moment to Romans chapter 5 to look at this more deeply. This is what Paul says about being set free. Therefore, since we, the believer, have been justified by faith or have been set free from faith or have been ransomed because of our faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now listen to this. He says this, this is the hope for us this morning. For while we were weak, while we were still sick, or uh, another way he'll say it is, while we were still sinners, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God showed his love for us That while we were what? Yet sinners Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood. Much more we shall be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God. 
by the death of his son, much more now that we have been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we now have received what? Reconciliation. That is the hope of the gospel. That's the promise of the gospel. That while we were still sinners, while we were still weak, Christ died for us, the ungodly. Paul is saying, there's nothing that you can do to receive salvation. You don't have to get yourself right. Christ is going to intervene on your behalf. When he intervenes, the gospel takes over. Do you, do I believe, and do we believe this, that while we're still sick, at the right time, Christ died for you. Maybe this morning, you were here this morning and you were still weak. You've not been justified by the blood of Christ. I would say this to you. This is the right time. Do not wait to receive the gospel. This is the right time. I want to look at five things, five A's that the gospel guarantees us this morning. This is how we're going to go from the outermost ring back to how God created us. Five A's. It starts with this. This is what happens at salvation and what it offers us. Remember what we said just a few moments ago, that because of Christ and his death, we now have access to God. Through our faith, now we can come back to God. So the first A is this. Will we live lives that allows us and grants us admission or confession. We have to become confessional people. Are we, the church, confessional? Do we know we still sin? Or am I the only one? But the great promise of the gospel says, because I still sin, I have a God that wants to reconcile me and wants to set me free and wants to forgive me. So the first A is this. Do we live lives of admission or confession? Admission or confession means this. It means to agree, to promise, or to admit to something. What are we agreeing with? What are we promising with? And what are we admitting to? We're admitting of who we are. Sinful people that need the grace of God. And our sin is this. We agree with God that our sin separates us from Him. Do we live lives of confession? James would say it this way. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power at his working. John says this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. This is the promise for us through admission, through confession. We confess our sins. He, God, is what? Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are we a place of confession? Are we a church that's going to allow people to confess? 
See, every Sunday morning when we do the benediction and we offer these altars to be open, and I don't mean come down to the front. That's not what I mean. I could care less if you ever come down to the front. But what I do care about is is your heart and a posture of confession. Do we live confessionally? Are we always confessing our sins to God? My hope and my prayer is if I had x-ray vision, I could see into the hearts of God's people, and during the benediction, we would be crying out to God because of our sin. Because here's what's true about all of us in this room, myself included, we are sinful people. You may have sinned even between the time you got up this morning to the time you got to church today. I have no idea. But I guarantee you this, from last Sunday to this Sunday, you have sinned. How do I know that? Because I have sinned. But I have to live a life of confession. But the gospel promises me this. This is the promise of the gospel. If I confess my sin or if I admit my sin, he is what? He is faithful and righteous and just to forgive me of all of my sin. You see, remember what I said last week, the key to the church, the key to how we were created is to be in relationship with God, ourselves, and other people. So the first part is the part of admission. Admission opens the door back to intimacy with God and one another. Do we live lives that way, church? Because here's what happens when we live lives of confession and confession, it always leads back to the next A, acceptance. God will always accept us in spite of us. Not because of anything we've done, but because of the blood of Christ that's been poured out onto us. That's what gives us acceptance with God. But it is our acknowledgement of our sin that says, I need the blood of Christ to wash over me so I can be accepted by God. Not my works accept me, but it's my confession that says I'm in need of God, I'm in need of the blood, and then God will see us and accept us, not because of our righteousness, but because of the imputation of Christ's righteousness that then poured out onto you and to me as the believer. This is what happens when we live lives of confession. We live lives with the gospel of acceptance. This is what Jesus himself said about acceptance. All the Father has given to me will come to me. All the Father gives to me, all the people that the Father gives to me come to me. And this is what Jesus said. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Oh, isn't that such a sweet verse? All who come to me, I'll never push them away. No matter how much you have sinned. No matter. I just don't think we believe that. Christ accepts us all despite what we've done. Because here's what happens after acceptance. We have a 
high priest, Jesus, who what? It says in Hebrews chapter 4. Why does he accept us? Because he understands us. How does he understand us? It says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. God through Christ knows you. He knows what it means to be human. The only difference between you and him is sin. He's been tempted in every way that you and I have. So he's attuned to us. He doesn't look at us and be like, oh man, they've blown it again. How, how in the world? How, what morons? What, what in the world is he doing? What's she thinking? He gets it because he was tempted in every way. He knows the scheme of the devil. Thank God we have someone who's so in tune with us. Attunement can be said this. It's an acronym. It means to be aware. It means to turn to. It means you have tolerance for. It means you have an understanding about. And it is a non-defensive response with empathy. So the A of attunement is awareness. The first T is he turns towards us. He has tolerance for us and with us. He understands us. He's non-defensive in his response to us. And he has empathy for us. Thank God Jesus is attuned to us. He's sad when we sin. He's not caught off guard. He gets it. He understands. We have a high priest. You see, because he's so attuned to us, he's able to attach to us and us with him. Think of it in these manners. In order to be attached to good music, again, this is going to, I'm old school here. Remember in the car where you had like the tune-in radio? It's no more like, just it finds it on its own. Like you had to like tune in. Well, if as a young child, middle school, like I had to tune in to the right station. If I was one point one off or point one too high, point one two, the, the music would kind of come through, but it was so distorted it, it didn't sound right. So I needed to what attune to the music to get it just right, so I could what attach to the music. That's what God does with us. He's attuned to us, and we're attuned to him, therefore it forms an attachment. God is attached to us, and we with him. The word attachment means this. It means an emotional bond that we develop with another person who will be there with you and for you, and what? Who truly knows you. God, through Christ Jesus, is so attuned to you. He's so attuned to you. Jesus himself says this. I've numbered the hairs on your head. There's nothing about us that Christ does not see or know. He's that attuned to us. But even in that, he's so attached to us. Because he knows us. And this is the promise of the gospel through attachment. He says this because he knows us. He's attached to us. He says this, no matter what you've done, 
who you are because of the gospel. Matthew 28, verse 20 says this, I will be with you always to the end of the age. He says, no matter who you are, you'll never be abandoned again. You see how we're going in from the outermost ring of this circle to our greatest fear of being abandoned again. God, through Christ Jesus, says, I'll never abandon you, and I know everything about you. Every sin you've ever committed, the sins you continue to commit, if you do those with me, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, is what he said. There's a no abandonment with Christ Jesus. But as humans, our greatest fear is to be abandoned. And God, through Christ Jesus, says because of the gospel, you will never be abandoned again. Here's what Paul says about that idea of abandonment. If you're in Christ Jesus, he says this. Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will what? Will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, because of the cross, is so attached to you that he will never leave you or forsake you. The flip side to that, he says this, no one, nothing, can snatch you out of the Father's hand. That's how attached you are to God. The last day is this. When we begin to live full lives of who God created us to be, He will constantly bring alignment to our lives. Think about when you put your car in alignment. You take your car to alignment. What does it do? It's going to correct it so it drives straight. If your tires are off just one degree and you let go of the wheel, your car is always going to pull, is it not? But what God says, because of the gospel, God will always be aligning us back to who He created us to be. He's going to bring what we would say is correction or discipline. Discipline is this. It encompasses the concept of correction, punishment, in education or correction. Hebrews 12, 6 says this. It's taken from Proverbs 3, 12. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Proverbs 3, 12 says this. The Lord reproves him, reproves him who he loves as a father the Son in whom He delights. God's discipline on your life, God's correction on your life and my life, is because He loves us and He cares about us. Now I want you to see, though as a church, where this takes place, the correction part. It's the last piece of the puzzle. How often church do we want to bring correction without relationship? Let me say that again. When we look at this diagram, where does God 
bring correction. It's after he's brought to a place of confession, acceptance, attunement, and attachment that he'll bring correction. But church, how can we start with correction? We want to start with correction. Someone comes in sinful, we want to bring them to correction. Without the relationship. God brings relationship first, then he brings correction. He doesn't bring correction that leads to relationship. One writer says it this way. People don't care what you know, so they know you care. Another writer says it this way. In our lives, as disciples of the church, we ought to build bridges of relationship with other people that can do what? Bear the weight of truth. Yes, people need the gospel. They need to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus. But we must have relationship with them for them to feel the full brunt of the gospel. We do so much harm as the church because we're going to just bring correction without relationship. You see, the word says, the Lord disciplines those he loves. If someone walks in this building, we've never seen them before, I guarantee you this, you cannot love them. You don't know them. God disciplines those he loves. As a father to a son who he delights. Would that be true of us, church? You see, again, in closing, I would say this. Yes, we do need discipline in our church. But my prayers were fighting for relationship first. Are we fighting for relationship with one another and with God? You see, because then we'll get back to how God created us to live in relationship with Him, ourselves and one another. And then I have such a relationship with Lance, I have a, such a relationship with Blake, or Jerry, and you with me, that then you can come and you can bring to me correction and rebuke. And I'll receive it. Because I know you care about me, and I know you love me. And my hope would be that would be the same. Yes, church, we need discipline. But I hope to God we're doing the other four A's first. And we're providing a place in our church of confession. Out of that place of confession, yes, we accept everyone. I would say it this way. It's okay not to be okay. We just can't stay that way. It's okay not to be okay. If there's any sin in your life, you are welcome here. But you just can't remain that way. That's not the intent God has for you or for our church. 
So if there's sin in your life today, the altars are open for a place of for confession. And I promise this, we will accept you. We will not judge you. We will not condemn you. And we will not cast you out. As much as God is in tune to us, we will attune to you. And we'll attach to you. And yes, the promise will always be, we'll continue to bring correction to you. That's only because we love and care for you. We want you to get back to how God created you to be. What he said in John 10.10, that you'd live life, live life to the full. If you are in sin, you cannot live a full and abundant life. So this morning, the altars are open. It's a place of confession. I want to read James again to us this morning. I want to circle back to what I said two Wednesday nights ago in Mark. Remember in that passage of Mark, it says, the faith of those who carried their friends to Jesus, the man was healed. Then James says this again. And sometimes it takes someone grabbing you by the hand and leading you to the altar. But I promise this, if you're led to the altar by your friend, that friend ought to do what? Push you in a posture to confess your sins. And that friend ought to pray over you so that you may be healed. Two passages in closing, and then Jared will come and lead us in worship this morning. Therefore, if you confess your sins to one another, and, prayer for, and pray for one another, you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and is working. The promise of the gospel says this. We confess our sins. God is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May we believe in the gospel this morning. Let me pray.